Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation after the over-under podcast I did with Arturo Galetti of the Division Capsule Series. This is the Southwest Division with the excellent Rob Mahoney of The Ringer and Matt Moore of the Action Network, Locked On NBA, Locked On Nuggets. And it is an excellent conversation. I will note at the outset that because I'm traveling right now, this was recorded before the Damian Lillard trade was recorded about a week, week and a half ago, if memory serves. So... Some of that stuff, which obviously that trade didn't involve this division, but we, you know, just wanted to let you let you all know that in case you were interested. And episode is brought to you by FanDuel, FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet. I will talk about that a lot more later. And I hope you enjoy it. Long podcast, well over I think it's like an hour fifteen, something like that. And it's lots of good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us, Danny. Yeah, I always love to do this. This division is pretty fascinating, and I know we'll get into a lot of the a lot of the moves and a lot of of what it set up. But I want to start, Rob, with you. Who in the Southwest do you think got better, and who do you think got worse? Mm. And, and we're excluding the uh, the Zion level injury related question marks, right? I mean, you can you can mention it. It's it's your choice. I think of it more talent in, talent out. But you can incorporate that in your analysis, of course. Whatever you want. Well, talent in, talent out is is an interesting way to consider some of these teams, like the Mavs, for example. Like, is is losing Christian Wood a net talent negative? Probably, but I think they're a better team. So I think as far as, as, far as like overall construction of the team, the Mavs, the Spurs, and the Rockets all feel distinctly better. Better to me, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans strike me as mostly like net neutral. To be honest, maybe like slight negatives depending on how you view some of their role player kind of uh, subtraction situations. But I don't know that any of these teams got demonstrably worse. Matt, how are you feeling about? So I mean, the Grizzlies—they made a big move. They gave up multiple first-round picks to to get Marcus Smart. Functionally, you know, Tyus Jones was included in the trade, but they also let Dylan Brooks walk. Mister Podium Bear, how do you feel? I feel really good about this team. This is the first time, I think, in three years that I've been uh, really bullish on them. Uh, I'm extremely bullish on them. I have them as number one seed in the Western Conference, I think. Yeah, so a lot of this is based off of some kind of presumptions, which is I'm expecting kind of a cultural bounce back, right? Last season had to be considered uh, a real low point. Like that, I, I am assuming that that was rock bottom. Maybe it's not, but I am assuming that that was rock bottom. And there does seem, I think, to be... With the smart addition and with kind of the uh, way that they've approached things, a kind of understanding of, okay, we are moving past the stage of just banking on the young guys and development and having all these guys pop. Uh, we are going to add Marcus Smart. We are going to – they were always going to move on from Tyus because they weren't going to be able to afford him. Afford him and Tyus was looking for a starting gig anyway. Um, they have enough guys that probably one will hit in terms of being able to add to the rest of those guys. Getting Steven Adams back I think is a, is a huge part of this equation as well. Like I really don't understand. There should have been a lot more conversation about what Adams did for this team in particular. You saw some of that honestly with Team USA. You've seen honestly some of that with the playoffs and the way that the Lakers series went down. Adams is reportedly good to go, cleared for training camp, should be fine. And he makes things – he'll make things easier earlier for Desmond Bain and Marcus Smart. And he'll make things a lot easier for John Morant because that's what he's done throughout the course of his career. So uh, I think this team – is with where Jaron's offense evolved to last year, which was a big step up for me, with what I think Desmond Bain is about to unleash on the NBA, which I don't think people are prepared for, and with the addition of Smart, who I think fills in a lot of the gaps that they're looking for and allows them to play in a lot of different ways. 
I'm extremely bullish on where Memphis is at going into the season. Well, do you see their roster with the smart addition as being improved? Or is it more, as you're saying, like some of these circumstantial factors, Adams getting back with injury, some internal development, hopefully for some of their guys to continue? Or is, is smart himself that meaningful to you? He is that meaningful to me, and some of that is built upon um, kind of an assumption of a bounce-back year for him, right? It's I'm taking the aggregate of his career versus last year because one of the interesting things here is I definitely upgraded the Celtics considerably for losing Smart and adding Porzingis, and that was based off of how they performed last season. And so mm-hmm. with where I'm at, I look at Smart and I go, okay, I have a track record of his career. I have what he has contributed consistently. I have a Celtics team that was weird in a lot of ways last season. I like the fit here. Am I still worried about the wing? Yes, I'm still worried about the wing. I'm still worried about the bench wing in particular, but I think they have enough lineup combos and options to be able to find something, and I do think that there is a lot of capacity for this team to find the answers on roster for what they need to do to get through the regular season, and the top of their roster, their starting five, I like well enough to go ahead and be bullish on them. I like Smart. I mean, he he serves a, a, an important purpose for them in the regular season and in the playoffs. Like the non-jaw times, like having another another stable hand who can fit both with and without him. Like I think can can work reasonably well. I still wonder like how they're going to fill all of those playmaking roles. Maybe it is going to be what Desmond Bain unleashes on the league. But Smart versus Dylan Brooks, which like when they're fully healthy, like that's the and like full, let's say fully staffed because John Morant's a little bit different. He fits in so much better because you can defend him differently. And Dylan Brooks, I think, had an underappreciated regular season. Like it's something when when a player is a has a distinct difference between their regular season and postseason capabilities. Sometimes we use recency bias and we kind of forget that. But Smart is so much more complete that if we're talking about Memphis in those conversations, and hopefully they're healthy enough to be in them, I think Smart will make a material difference. Yeah, I, I see that as kind of you know coalescing. Obviously those. Those two spots, right? You have some of what Tyus Jones gave you. You have some of what Dylan Brooks gave you. It's a consolidation move for a team that's deep enough to kind of accommodate that in a way that I think just makes sense for them. As for whether it makes them like net ultimately a more talented team, I don't know. But they're certainly very well suited to survive the suspension of John Moran to start the season. You will hear, you will find no greater Stephen Adams booster than me as far as his impact on that team and how how crucial he has been and I think will be to their to their overall course here. So I'm I'm full on board as far as that part of it um i guess i'm trying to figure out like what as far as like the key stakeholders for the grizzlies who is going to come back different or better or change you know we touched on the desmond bain piece of that and certainly a lot is going to be asked of him a lot will be asked of jaron jackson jr again we'll see kind of where john morant is at the end of the day but i I, you know, those are all guys with a lot of room to grow and a lot of potential to still to explore some new corners of their games, maybe relative to even um, certainly some of these other teams in, in the Southwest. And some of these groups are really young and have a lot of like really young prospects that they're still bringing along. This is the only real team in this group that has a significant number of guys who are on the cusp of something or potentially on the cusp of something who are ready to turn that corner to potentially being like even more playoff relevant players than they already were. I think what's interesting is if we look at this from a and even the division 
like the Mavericks, I think, are a good example of this, where if we look at it from a talent perspective, you're like, oh, I like the guys that they added. They added a lot of talent. What I like about Memphis is what the units look like. And I think a lot of this is the Luke Kennard edition at the deadline was on some level an admission of we got to do something about the half-court offense, which has been miserable year after year after year. And we saw significant strides in that over the last half of the season, but there wasn't enough time to install, I think, enough continuity and actions, both are either in design or execution, to get them where they needed to be versus a Lakers team, especially missing uh, both Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. And they'll be without Clark for the season, obviously, with the Achilles. I do think that when I look at this this Grizzlies roster, for me, it's like, okay, smart fills. You know, he he does some of the stuff that Tyus does, but he also provides um, a lot more playmaking. And then you, I look at Luke Kennard and I say, okay, pure shooter doesn't have as much of the maybe the on ball game that Dylan Brooks has. Do you want more Dylan Brooks on ball? Because I I don't. <laughs> just I like Dylan and I don't yeah. want to get this for him. Like I have a lot of positive things to say about Dylan Brooks, and I think he got a raw deal. Some of this is just the reality of it. And so if you ask me about like Luke. Kennard will not get talked about, I don't think, in a lot of uh, season previews for Memphis. But for me, he's not crucial, but he's important from the perspective of if you can do all of the other things, but you got to be able to have that one last ingredient, which is just pure shooting to make lineups work. Kennard fits very well into those into those sets. And he enables things like, OK, if you've got Smart and Kennard, you've got playmaking and shooting. If you've got Jackson and Kennard, you've got inside out. Like there are these things that he will help. They all, I think, will help kind of tie the room together until Jog gets back and then he can stir the drink, so to speak, to mix metaphors. So a lot with Memphis is less about the talent level of the squad, which is becoming, to be quite honest, more and more of where I've gone to with analysis, I think, in this era, is I'm less concerned with, okay, what does your talent look like? Because I've seen that with teams like the Nets and whoever else, and even the Suns a little bit last season. What is what what, is, what do your units look like? What do your five-man lineups look like? What's your team identity? And I like a lot of what I can project with Smart, Kennard, those relatively recent additions to what Memphis already has. Matt, I'm really happy you brought up Kennard. And something that I'm going to be monitoring for him this year is that when Kennard was on the Pistons, which feels like a lifetime and a half ago because he got traded in 2020, he was a pretty, he had a high, bigger role within the offense than the Clippers asked of him. And Kennard became this high volume shooter and has been just drilling them pretty much wherever he's been over these last few seasons. That ticked up a little bit in Memphis too, but particularly when they're filling the Morant void, I think we're going to see a strong start to the season for Kennard, and then it becomes a little bit of a challenge for Taylor Jenkins, and I mean a good challenge, not a bad challenge, to incorporate that when they're closer to fully staffed. Yeah, I think there'll be a challenge in some respects because um, Kennard's not Grayson Allen, to use a not a pure comp, but obviously I think there's a lot of people that would kind of compare them. Even I don't think like a Seth Curry from a shooter perspective, um, and Seth a little bit more on ball. I think that Kennard is, is bigger and able to handle some of this in different ways defensively. The questions will kind of be like, can they, can you keep up your defensive standards if you have Jaw and Kennard both on the floor? That That's a question I think for later in the season. I'm not worried about Bain and Kennard. I'm not worried about Smart and Kennard. I'm not worried about Jaron with any of them because it's Jaron. I'm not worried about Adams with any of them because he'll do his job, even if it's just drop coverage. Um, but figuring out ways, I think, to make those combinations work, I think are important. 
I am kind of interested to see how much of a role he gets. Like, again, a lot of this is also, I think my bullishness is is presumptive, and it, it's always going to be a little bit in preseason based off of, okay, I would just really like them to be done with a lot of the young guys. Like, I'm I'm good on Zaire Williams. Like, I'm good. It's, <laughs> wish the best for him. Hope that he pops maybe somewhere else, theoretically. I'm good. And so I'd like to see some of the, like, I'm ready for Memphis to start fielding lineups consistently that are like, no, 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 this is not an up-and-coming NBA team. This is a contending NBA team. And if they make those kind of adjustments, even if it means like, okay, they're gonna play, like one of the young guys pops and they decide that he's in that rotational spot as well, whether it's uh, LaRavia or Roddy or any of these these guys, even even Santi to, to a degree, any of these guys, that's totally fine. Um, but they are gonna need, I think, to start. There was a point where the Nuggets were on the cusp of making the playoffs and Tim Connolly said to me, we have to start chopping down some of the young talent just because we don't have room. We got to figure out who's in and who's out. And I, I am very much in that spot with Memphis where I'm like, it's time to figure out who's in and who's out. And then quietly and subtly start moving away from those guys for more NBA known rotation guys. Yeah. I think it was probably about that time for Memphis anyway, just given where they are and kind of their, their cycle, their team building cycle, but also the vibes don't exactly help. And I think they can accelerate things too, where it's like if John Morant comes back and things are still kind of off and they don't quite feel right for the Grizzlies and you still have these young guys who are being plugged into the rotation who like you're kind of banking on a long-term fit that may or may not be there that may be one too many things to ask of the Grizzlies right now as they're incorporating a new major piece in Marcus Smart as they're trying to bring along some of these other players you know you're like your Luke Kennards for example and make sure that they can fit in a playoff caliber rotation there's a lot going on there and if you can clear up any of those variables even if it's a Zaire Williams level variable I think that does have a demonstrable bonus to this team it does and i i wonder like one of the questions i was going to ask we kind of went down some different avenues of emphasis like which of those young guys would you put the most chips on to 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 be a rotation player on this team or kind of moving forward i i I don't know who that is for me i like aldama a lot actually um and I, I, I've been a big Xavier Tillman guy for a long time, but Tillman, like, I mean, on a team with Jaron and, and Steven Adams, I mean, there's there's a limited utility there, though I, I do love him. Yeah, is is none of the above a possible response? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it is. I yeah, think that, I mean, that's probably know, the answer, although, you know, on, on the right day, I could be talked into David Rowdy if you want to make an impassioned plea, Matt. I, I don't want to make an impassioned plea. <laughs> I don't really want to make it. That's the, the kind of the issue, I think, is they nailed Ja, I mean, ja was, a, was a layup, but they hit on Jaron and they hit on Desmond. Uh, getting the Stephen Adams trade, I thought, was good in a net perspective, although I think JV was really good with them, too. The problem is, like, it was just such a... I, I didn't like it at the time because I was like, this is an overly cute move. Like, you're trading your starting center for a cheaper starting center who you... And then picking up this draft pick and then reaching for a guy. And I was like, this is a lot of... This is a lot of heat checking uh, by the front office, and they've you know they've hit on so many guys. I understand it. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, and I do wonder. Like there honestly are, I think, with a lot of teams in the league right now, um, there's always movement in season. But I have I think a little bit more this season. There are several teams I think at the top of the West that I'm just like I don't think this roster looks like this by the deadline, and I think Memphis is kind of included in that, even if they don't necessarily have a lot of assets left after the smart trade. There also will be the question of just 
how like can you are you willing to get off of the players that this same group identified and really made a commitment to you know not a commitment in the sense of like you gave them a big contract but you know you drafted David Roddy you drafted Jake Laravia and just understanding that we're not gonna do that and and maybe they'll just keep them around for too long and that that's the way you resolve it it's not like they need them to open need to trade them to open up luxury tax base though I'll just drop a little pin in the idea that I, I did this team by team thing for the athletic Memphis's cap sheet for 2425 is not as rosy as some think but they'll they don't need to cross that bridge now they can cross that next July uh, let's get to Dallas um, Dallas is a fascinating situation they of course got Kyrie late in the season and then ended up tanking anyway just to retain their draft pick which um that's going to be kind of a, a question on where all this where all this goes for them, but they also did add some meaningful talent. You know, they brought in Grant Williams through a sign and trade. They brought in Seth Curry, Derek Derek Jones Jr. is here as well. Matt, you talked about fit and you talked about kind of like talent versus fit. How do you feel about this Mavericks team now? It's interesting. I understand why everyone has been kind of has been really bullish on them and you really praise the the moves like bringing back Seth Curry I think is a even if there's kind of some signs that Seth might be approaching uh the other side of the curve so to speak like Grant seems like such a great fit right like oh he'll he'll defend at a high level and he can hit corner threes and um he's he's got an attitude that will create the kind of friction that they want and those types of things and and I I get that one of the things that's interesting about this roster is how like Kyrie's going to be 32 Hardaway Jr. depending on if he's there or not is going to be 32 uh, Seth's going to be 34. Dwight Powell is going to be 33 next year. Um, up and down the line, there's like a lot of guys that are over 30, 31, and then Luca, and then Grant, and then a bunch of kids. And so it's like this very weird kind of dichotomy of how it's kind of broken up. Um, there's a lot of players that I like on the Mavs. I especially like Josh Green, and it was very, very, very weird to me that Josh Green did not play. Like, he had his role reduced when Kyrie showed up, and that that was odd to me in the same vein as well. Most of Jason Kidd's coaching career has been odd to me. And so that I think is maybe my biggest question here is I think we can upgrade them on talent. I think, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff that's hard to take away from what they were last season combined with both injuries and then the malaise and then the Kyrie trade and how weird it was after that they were like he played well, but they were garbage and then the tanking. So it's hard to kind of figure out what they are. And that's kind of where I, I do get a little I think I have a little bit of skepticism. I'm not necessarily bearish on them. I don't think they're going to wildly underperform. I'm concerned about the fact that Luke is already dealing with a thigh injury and is already like not good going into camp. That's not great. Um, LA Jaden Hardy think he's got a lot of, of upside. You have to like their draft, but are those guys going to immediately contribute? Will kid let them contribute so much of this kind of comes to, well, yeah, like there's a lot of ways that I can see this working. Is kid going to be the guy to, to find those answers? And that's where I start to be like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say no, but I don't, I can't express any sort of confidence based off of how weird, things have been with this team since Kidd took over. Yeah, you are as the Mavericks expressing a lot of confidence in Jason Kidd to sort out what needs to be sorted out here and expressing a lot of confidence in Kyrie Irving and the rest of the team around him to continue like that acclimation process and the idea that what we saw late last season is not indicative of what this team thinks it can be. I think that's probably the right bet to make as far as Kyrie goes. Uh, 
temperamentally and as a personality, he's not the kind of person I would bet on. But as a talent, I think they can play better. To your point, Matt, I think the team overall can perform better when he and especially he and Luca are on the floor together. There were some weird quirks of that roster last season that I think didn't really serve trying to experiment with those guys that late in the season. And I think this group overall does fit better around what you would want a Luca Kyrie team to be. But it's kind of another draft of the build around Luca model. I don't know if we're at like version 3.0 or 4.0 or whatnot at this point, but they have jettisoned some of the the lowest maintenance kind of supporting cast pieces, right? The Reggie Bullocks, the Dorian Finney-Smiths, these guys who really didn't have like a major role to play in the offense other than catch and shoot. And they've replaced them with guys who have the capacity to do a little bit more, potentially, if you'll let them. And that will kind of be the question is how much do Luca and Kyrie trust in those guys and in what spots, you know, like to whatever extent Josh Green is plugged into the lineup by Jason Kidd, what is he allowed to do? What is his optimal role? And you can see versions of that same question with Seth, with Derek Jones Jr., if he's part of the rotation. Grant Williams, is he a guy who stands in the quarter like he was in Boston sometimes, or is he kind of like a handoff big who could do some playmaking for them in a way that they probably need? I think there's a lot to figure out, but a lot to figure out in a way that has me like kind of excited and interested to see what they could become. Maybe that's giving Jason Kidd too much credit, but I'm I'm at least enticed by the possibility of the Mavericks. I think it's giving Luka Doncic too much credit. Yeah? Yeah, I think um, we go back to when Kidd first took over that first year and how they had what was like a very egalitarian offense. Like the whole thing was built on, we want other guys to do things. And Luca's numbers weren't good. And it was very clear he wasn't thrilled with that situation. And then what happens? Like course correct. And they're back to uh, Harden ball, which is what, that's what he is. And I am just a very, I am very big at this point in my career on if a team plays a certain way with its best player on the floor, that's probably got the most to do with that, how that best player feels. That's how these dynamics tend to play out. And so like, yeah, they've added more guys that maybe can do a little bit more it's going to be luca dribbling a lot and then taking step back jumpers or kicking really sharp passes out to, to shooters and i i have no real reason to suspect that that's going to be better i don't have any reason to suspect that he's that the, the, he's going to fundamentally change the way he plays and this is why i think is really interesting with Kyrie is that there's a lot of secondary ball handlers and creators who could be very effective but Kyrie is just effectively very much the same kind of guy where he wants to kind of slow it down catch dribble like i my biggest complaint with Kyrie can consistently has always been he takes really good possessions of ball movement and then he catches and then he goes into his iso moves and everybody's like look at that ball movement by the cavaliers or the nets or whoever and i'm like yeah but all that stopped when i got to Kyrie, and he makes it because it's Kyrie, and he makes insane shots it's what he does but i don't know that that still creates a kind of ball is popping energy that you really want for your offense which makes some of the best teams in the league and, and instills the right kind of chemistry combination um maybe maybe this is uh, this is wrong and maybe luca's like ready to take a step back and really wants to buy into a team concept but i'm very very dubious of this based off of what we've seen from luca's decision making in the past i understand it he's one of the best players in the nba i've got him fourth he's about fourth best player in the nba by by my estimation he's amazing he's incredible he's a machine but he also is always going to want to play a certain way and i wonder if that handicaps your ability to maximize especially this roster I mean, their offense was still really good, even with Luka doing that particular thing, as you're saying, like the reliance on the step back jumpers, the, you know, hunting some pretty difficult shots in crunch time. Like they still rated out as a really high level offense. And I, I, I honestly cannot believe I'm about to do it. But like I, I am compelled to defend Kyrie Irving somewhat on the ball movement front. 
Um, not necessarily from his time as a Maverick, but I did think with the Nets that he did facilitate some of that movement. I was actually legitimately impressed, especially when they were really trying to make it work with their full complement of stars, that brief shining moment that it was. I was kind of impressed by his ability to cut and his willingness to cut and to play a different kind of role. I do agree as a second side guy, he does have that tendency sometimes to catch and dribble, dribble, dribble in a way that you know negates all of that beautiful movement you might create. And that concerns me, considering we're talking about a Luka-driven offense versus any kind of motion-driven offense. But I, I wonder if his willingness to play ball could at least facilitate some good play there, some good team play there. You you did see when he did become a Maverick for the first time, especially in the games without Luka, he was so intent on swinging the ball at every conceivable possibility to your Tim Hardaway Jr. types to try to make those guys feel involved. Will that continue in a full season with this team when it's not like that you know new kid in school need to ingratiate yourself? I don't really know. But I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at least on the court uh as far as trying to make it work with this team from a fit perspective off the court i'm terrified of literally everything he posts on instagram and i'm worried that this is going to combust at basically any time but uh i guess we'll see I want to I want to I want to throw just quickly, Matt, before you go, a couple of stats on on the points that you've been making just to co- to add a little bit more color. Matt, on your point of how teams can kind of take the tenor of the star in the last four years, the Dallas Mavericks have been top two in half court cleaning glass points per possession three of the four years. They've also been last, dead last in the league in percentage of possessions in the in, in transition three of the last four years. So the idea that they don't run a lot, but they're effective in the half court, that's there. And while I don't trust the sample for a couple different reasons, 900 clean glass minutes played for Kyrie and Luka together, the Mavs offensive rating was a 121.7. Yeah, and I think it's these, I, I want to kind of clarify, I think, it's undeniable, like as Rob said, you, you pointed out that the offense has worked, right? Like they're sixth last year in schedule-adjusted offense for the entire season. And, and as you mentioned, the net rating, the offensive rating with those two on the floor um, was sky high. I think for me, a lot of this is like, oh, no, yeah, you're going to put up those 130 offensive ratings versus the Hornets. That's great for you. That's awesome. That's where this gets interesting, right? Is like, how good are they going to be in the regular season? I no longer equate how good you are with how many wins you're going to have in the regular season. Those are two separate questions they are because great point it's about how you approach schedule how you approach game management what the interest of the how what what's the flow of the, of the season like in terms of when you play tough teams and their motivation level versus when you don't play tough teams and they have a high motivation level or a low one and so it's it's very contextual which is not to negate the results which because they are meaningful it, again Luca's a top five player and Kyrie is an incredible shot maker and as Rob mentioned like he does show like I thought he played great with with Dallas that's what was so baffling about it is like the 120 offensive rating and wow like Kyrie I thought played really well yeah they just lost out their asses every single game and so I, I am still kind of con- I think the broader point I'm trying to make is if you're trying to construct a really great team I, I think that that goes into a a much broader and more complicated question than can those two score or create buckets because those are two separate things especially when they play motivated teams on national television which are and they're trying to stack up against real contender status. I think what gives me some 
optimism about the the overall construction of that team around them you know the bigger question beyond can those two guys get buckets the kinds of players that they brought in to me like the uniting factor for the most part is feel right grant williams i you know there are i, I would say there are some exceptions to this rule a la like rashawn holmes but grant williams seth curry even the young guys they drafted even you know dante exum post you know european sojourn these are guys who like know how to find angles who know how to find creases who understand how to play roles around the action that I think could be pretty conducive to figuring out something. Now, that something is contingent on Luca wanting to be a part of it and wanting to at least involve those guys in that supplemental capacity. But at least in terms of the names that they're targeting and the players they brought in, I think there's there's some good reason to hope that this offense could look slightly different. Do uh, How do you grade their screeners, the the players that will act in pick and roll situations? How do you grade those guys on, on field? They're not elite. I mean, they're definitely they definitely leave something to be desired. But I will say, I don't know that the Mavs have ever had really elite screeners. Like I think Dwight Powell has probably been consistently their their best screener, and he's like better on the roll side of the pick and roll than the pick, if that makes sense. Uh, they are so reliant on Luca baiting out the switch, and teams I, I think for the most part are still pretty willing to accommodate that because they're so scared of him. I don't know that the screens need to be absolutely top tier. It's more about like can you just kind of get a body in the way and, and trick somebody into to putting themselves in a disadvantageous position. And when you have someone like Luke on the floor, sometimes you can get those sorts of results. I think it's uh, it's strange to me that they still haven't found that guy. And I genuinely thought Christian would. And to be quite honest, I thought he was. Like the, the, the minutes with him last year were great. They weren't as good as Dwight Powell because Dwight Powell has a magical ability to just <laughs> always put up good numbers when he's on the Mavericks. Like Luca just is really good with, with Dwight Powell around. It's And he enjoys a, a close relationship with Mark Cuban. It's just like it's a good fit all around, which is why he's still there. It's but kind I, of amazing how like persistently good he is for Dallas and how yeah. mad all of Dallas is about it. Yes, I've, I've never like, seen a fan base like so furious that a guy continues to be pretty good if not as good as maybe some people would want him to be he's still like the best option it's just like no matter what they do he's always the best option it's incredible then, you know grant williams i think will be the answer for some people but i'm like you know grant's like a small ball option i think in some respects but i don't think he's going to be like he's not the kind of guy that you want to just absolutely drag teams into pick and roll hell with over and over and over again handoff stuff i think is really interesting and that'll be interesting to watch especially i think in the minutes without luca with him and Kyrie. but i i still kind of look at that and that's one of the pieces i think that's still missing for me is i'm like man what why you know if they just had the, and there's a reason that they want capella so bad is like if they were able to pull off the capella trade it's like okay everything works now i can see everything if they pulled off the clint capella trade like oh okay and like josh green fits here and grant williams fits here and they can do this and this other thing and even when one of the stars is not on the floor it all makes sense but without that i'm still kind of like i don't know this is still messy and feels like it's going to be a lot of iso i love clint capella as rosetta stone you know he really does bring everything together it's also really funny when you consider that part of the reason that you think that is because remember who Matt compared logically compared Harden or compared Luca to is Harden and Clay Capella has that experience. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to bring up with the Mavs is I'm concerned about their defense. I think that their offense will be good enough. And it, again, this part of this is adjusting to what we think their team is going to be. Like, what what conversation are they in? Are they in the winning a playoff series conversation? Are they in the making a playoff conversation? Are they in the title conversation? But they, for a brief time, when they made the conference finals, they had this basically like, we can credibly switch enough stuff 
around and, you know, we can we can go that route. And they, as you as Rob brought up in terms of trading away those lower usage guys, they also lost a lot of their defensive versatility. And I don't think they replaced that versatility with like a single way to play that they're actually good at. Yeah, I think the the way they were able to build that pretty competent defense before that got them to the Western Conference Finals, to your point, Danny, I think did rely pretty heavily on the triangulation of Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, and then Maxi Kleba basically playing the best defense of his career. He hasn't been healthy a ton since then, and so I think hopefully you're getting a healthier version of Maxi to kind of plug into the lineup who can be, again, another kind of like small ball type big to, to play in some of these situations, but up and down the roster, I don't really see a lot of solutions presented on that level that are going to get you back to a, a pretty high level playoff defense that can make a deep run necessarily. It's going to be a lot of duct tape, a lot of plugging guys in and hoping for the best, a lot of like throwing Josh Green at some of the elite wings in the league and hoping he doesn't foul like three times in five minutes. None of this is is particularly uh, particularly heartening, I think, for the Mavs defensive position. They are a team that's going to have to outscore people, but that's kind of the gambit they made by trading for Kyrie in the first place. You have to hope they're at some kind of peace with it, but it, I can't say I'm particularly excited to watch them defensively. Yeah, and they're a fascinating kind of example of how every season is its own organism, which is something I, I just constantly kind of think about, about how we ascribe, like, well, we know that they'll be good on defense. Do we? Right? With a whatever team. Or we know that they'll be bad on defense because they were bad for three straight years. They become suddenly inexplicably good just overnight. Like defense is pretty good. Make the Western Conference finals. And then with the same roster, immediately go back to trash. And it's just it's there are things in this league you can't really. And we, we then we try and retrofit like, well, this happened or this happened. And it's like. No, man, like DFS is still a good defender. Reggie Bullock still a good defender. Maxi Kleba is still at least like capable of what they don't know how to they, like they know how to switch and all these types of things that actually when I look at the roster, it seems like they're going to be pretty switch heavy, especially if you pay Grant Williams what they did. You're 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 wanting to use his versatility. The problem I have with that is that we've there was there's been a, a trend over the last two seasons by second spectrum data that's indicated that switching defenses have started to get found out, whether it's simple mechanisms like slipping like Everybody's got kind of their own solve for it. And that used to be such a balm for any defense with poor on-ball defenders was just like, just switch everything. Just switch everything, and it takes care of it. It just helps so much. And we've seen the decline of that, especially for teams that switch a lot. Miami last year actually being a fascinating example of they moved away from that pretty heavily, which is baffling because it was like, you were so good at this. And I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall that you've got to be able to adapt as teams start to figure out and not just figure out, understand and execute known counters to switching a lot easier, which I think is a better way to kind of put it. Um, so, yeah, I don't look. How many plus defenders do we have on the team? Grant Williams, Josh Green, Dante Exum, if, 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 with a lot of question marks. Yeah. And then, yikes. And so, maybe Derek Jones Jr. I'll give him, like, a shot in the dark with the athleticism. So, after that, I don't know that Kleba's at 32 is still in the same position to be able to, to do what he needs to. Again, they'll him and Dwight Powell will try hard, and they'll be able to provide a little bit of switchability, but I don't know that that's going to solve what they need. Holmes is an interesting question as far as, like, okay, can he be the kind of rim protector and finisher um, that they need, and can he, on the other, on the defensive side, contain? Uh, I I have a lot of questions here, and I don't have a lot of reasons. I think, like, an upside for them is maybe, hey, if you can get yourselves to between 10 and 15, like a 13 range, that's a huge win, and that with your 
offense is probably enough to get you the second round and, you know, 50 plus wins. But if you're closer to 20, this gets really dicey, even with the amount of firepower you have. Yeah, I mean, on the defensive front, not only do they look like a team without with just a lack of, of you know, high level defensive personnel, this looks like a defensive rebounding nightmare in terms of you're trying to play this small with these particular guys. And Luca can help with some of that, at least in terms of vacuuming up like kind of contested rebounds that might otherwise be up for grabs. He's, he's pretty good at that, if not necessarily like bodying up and fighting guys for position. I'm, I'm pretty worried about the Mavs getting just straight up muscled by teams and not even necessarily the teams with huge hulking centers, but just the teams that have really aggressive rebounders on the front line versus, you know, it's just going to be like Grant Williams and Dwight Powell up there sometimes or it's going to be some very young very lean players out there sometimes i don't know how i feel about that in terms of trying to close off defensive possessions that you're kind of handcuffed on from the start especially when as we talked about previously with the mavs offense they were leaving like some of these uh these kind of points on the periphery on the table already in transition it's like who is winning these sorts of special teams types of battles in terms of the points that are up for grabs within half court offenses i I don't love the mavs like you know the probability of success on either one of those fronts right now yeah those are definitely concerns i don't i I, and with kind of the way the roster has been constructed, I think it's the idea of you can only do so much. And and maybe somebody like Derek Lively or Rashawn Holmes. I, I think Rashawn Holmes, my hope and expectation is that he'll be significantly better this season than he was last year. And and like that could be a, a potential fix for some things. I don't think he's the best defensive player in the world, obviously. But I, I wonder how how like they haven't they have enough bites at the apple that maybe some of them hit a little bit. You know, we talked about this with Memphis with their guys being younger. Most of the guys for Dallas are a little bit older, but they're interesting. Plenty more to discuss, but first a message from FanDuel. Snap into action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which I love, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 or over and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. I want to go to the Rockets. Wait, well, there's no there's no dispute that they got better. How much better and how much that practically affects their present and their future is a notable question. Like Fred Van Vliet is a wonderful basketball player. I wonder, like, if I could pick like one stat that is going to I'm going to be watching for the for the Rockets. It's most used five man lineup. What is their half court offensive rating? It's not going to be good. Do do we expect it to be good? <laughs> I mean, can it be non-abysmal? If it's non-abysmal, then this is kind of a different team, maybe. Yeah, I think 
I think you're right to kind of extricate how much better are they from what does that actually mean? Because this, there's no question they're better. A much more talented team than they were. Fred Van Vliet is probably like the best player to change teams within this within this division for this offseason. I'm I'm der- certainly like a Fred Van Vliet guy. On the pessimistic side of the Fred Van Vliet train, I think you could say like a num- another number to watch is just like literally his field goal percentage or his three-point percentage, which have been... Uh, going in a bad way, I think, for a couple seasons now. So there's some concerns there as far as like who Fred Van Vliet is at this stage in his career. Were those aberrations? Were those shooting blips? What was happening there? What kind of player can he be for them? I think they will be altogether a more competently run, competently coached, competently like executing team on on a regular basis i don't think it's going to make like a huge difference in terms of wins and losses just yet and and some of that i think honestly has more to do with the western conference than it does them like they could be a significantly better team and climb all of like one place in the standings i'm stuck on them because all of my projections have them as as relatively as terrible as last year because they were so bad last year that even if I give them a major upgrade, they still grade out as pretty sucky. And so it's like I can't I can't reasonably make an adjustment to them to get them to a spot where I'm like, hey, this team might be in that sub play in tier of like hanging around for a while. I can't get there. What I do think is interesting is there are I do think this is like this is very much a fork in the road for them. This season in that they have a couple of adults in the room. They have a coach, which it it cannot be overstated how much blame Silas got. And that may not be fair because he took on so much. In fact, I don't necessarily think that it's like, again, I look at a lot of their habits. The biggest thing for me last season was if you paid attention to what other NBA players said about Houston, it was glaring because there were comments made that were either directly about Houston or very clearly not expressively, but very clearly about Houston from players on podcasts and in media interviews that was basically like these guys need to get smacked around to teach them about how to play in the NBA because there is no discipline there whatsoever. Like other players were disgusted with how that team approached things. And from a fan perspective, it was very easy to be like, that's Silas. And I'm like, okay, but again, I don't see that happening if certain other young players were there. And so I do point to some of the guys on that roster and go, I I put a lot of that on them as far as they're young so they can grow out of it. And that's what Udoka is there to help them do, but they better get it. Um, What I do like is there are guys on this roster that I think are going to be great NBA players that are not only talented and athletic, but are also capable and are very, very smart. Uh, I think Jabari Smith is, is prime for a huge step up this year. I think he will look night and day with some real coaching and with adults on the floor to help him. I think he will fit in much better. I think the shooting percentages will go through the roof relative to what he shot last year, which was abysmal. And he will look like a good, if not great, young NBA player player. Shangun's going to do the things that he does, which is like he makes other guys better. He makes slick passes. He's got good control. Hopefully Udoka will not try and use him in the same way that Silas did, which kind of seems a lot like that's how Jalen Green and KPJ wanted to use him as and will instead unlock some of his potential. And I'll also say this. I, I cannot stress how in I am on Amon Thompson. I cannot. I am so in on him from every everything from his summer league to the prospect tapes to his interviews 
everything. I think that kid's going to be absolutely special, and I'm hopeful that he can work his way into a bigger role in a pretty crowded backcourt, which may not be possible, but I'm hopeful that he can get there because I think that he can wind up being the guy for this Houston team going forward. Love uh, Jock Landale. He actually graded out extremely well when I went back and did tape this summer. And as far as pick and roll defense, he's got a lot that he brings to the table um, in that capacity as well. They're going to be way better. But like Rob said, I just don't know like what that means. Like, are you way better? Does that mean that you're not a joke, but you're still a terrible NBA team? Does that mean that you're not a bad NBA team? Does it mean that you're a close to average NBA team, which would be the highest I can imagine? I don't know. Uh, the ceiling for this team, I think, is actually surprisingly high if they ride some momentum and get off to a too hot start. But I think the other, the opposite's probably true. I think they start extremely slow and then they figure out who they are in that back half of the season, which gives them momentum into next year. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. And that's why I think regardless of what they are this season and how their performance looks or how the lineups come together, it's just abundantly clear that this is a multi-year process for them and that the payoffs of bringing in Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and Jock Landale and, you know, kind of professionalizing this organization, those payoffs are years away. And that's where, to your point, Matt, like some of the habit building over the last couple seasons really hurts you because I know, you know, fans of that franchise, people who work for that organization, they're ready for the Rockets to be turning a corner and try to be good again and to really make, you know, sizable improvements to improve by leaps and bounds. The young players on this roster have shown no indication really that they're ready for that. I, I agree with you that Jabari Smith Jr., he turned a corner last season. I thought he kind of moved from being, I, I, would, I would say, like pretty mechanical to like starting to show some signs of fluidity, of being a more active part of a modern offense. Like I really liked what I saw from him in transition, even handling the ball some. I thought like there's some really heartening stuff for him. Jalen Green, I don't, know, I don't know that we've seen any like significant turn in terms of his habits or choices on the court. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., get the fuck out of the league. We I, like I'm like I'm going to say it as straightforward as possible. Like I think we're we're about done with that experiment given the news this week and there's certainly reports that the Rockets are trying to trade him. I don't even know how successful they'll be in that regard, but uh should not be a part of that team's future and I don't think will be a part of that team's future. So there, there's a lot turning to the young guys who are going to be remaining on the roster to all of a sudden be dramatically different people and players than they were. I, that's not going to happen on a short-term basis, right? Whatever effect Ime Udoka is going to have, whatever effect the veterans on this team are going to have we're gonna to have to wait and see over a pretty long period to see those things really come to fruition that is really helpful framing and i i think that one of the other legacies and this might have been something that Ime Udoko was pushing for and kind of working with rafael stone to an extent ownership is that bringing in adults into the room will also make it so much easier to not only mentor but evaluate the young guys and all of our hope is that Jalen Green, Shangun, Amon Thompson, all those guys will become great players and that it was whatever the circumstance, whether it was the, the chemistry or the coaching or whatever else, that they could be there. The fact of the matter is probably some of them are going to pop even passage of time too, and some of them won't. But now you get the opportunity to say, okay, we're putting a steady hand next to Jalen Green instead of Kevin Porter Jr. and their whole offensive flow last year. We have a coach that we think can instill something here. And we have Dylan Brooks to help give a perimeter defensive foundation. We have alternate center options here. So that's the other, like, the arc of the Grizz of the of the Rockets is going to be weird because part of this is evaluation, but then, you know, Fred Van Vliet's on a two-year deal with a th third-year team option. Dylan Brooks is paid forever. But, like, it might be a circumstance where 
hopefully those guys pop, but that you need to like eventually bring in replacements for one or two of the guys they brought in. But I think they had the Rockets have the flexibility to make that happen as long as they can evaluate the Greens and Changuns of the world before their next contracts and they have to negotiate and sign those. Jalen Green's numbers compare really favorable to Devin Booker's at a similar similar age and point in his career. And that's the uh, distributed on the morning talking points memo to all Rockets fans from. <laughs> um, and I don't disagree with it. A lot of this for me is, is I just I need to see a level of discipline and control in his game that we haven't. And maybe Udoka gets in and like it's just overnight and it's just like wow and I will say everything I've heard about that is that green has been awesome in summer workouts that he's been phenomenal and is showing the new level my question there is like okay is, is he just looking really good for what he does because they need a little less of that and they need a little bit more team ball and that to me is kind of this thing is Shangun I think is a great team player I think uh that Jabari Smith can be a great team player I think Fred Van Vliet is a great team player uh I think Dylan Brooks genuinely wants to be a great team player and doesn't know how to do it the way that people think he should uh Jock Landale I think is a great team player there are these guys and I personally believe Thompson will be that even as a rookie point guard that to me is why like so much of this is on Jalen Green is if he pops and looks like a, if he is he'll still get the most shots. He'll still be at the focal point of the offense. If he is able to translate it into disciplined, clean, smart basketball, he can still be a super effective scorer, make a huge leap, be one of those guys that everyone's wowing at put up huge nights. It's just going to take like it's a little bit more control. And that to me is, is going to be an interesting dynamic to see, you know, can Fred Van Vliet be the kind of mentor that he needs to get there? Can Udoka coach him the right way? A lot of the Rockets' success to me is about Jalen Green and what direction he takes with this season. Yeah, and that's where you hope that the long-term handoff between Van Vliet and Amen Thompson in that capacity could really pay dividends, right? If, if those two guys both do their jobs and, and perform to the extent that we would hope that they would in that role, I think I think the best place for Jalen Green to be is doing a little bit less like on-ball pure creation with a lot of dribbling and a little more second side activity, a little more, you know, just having that pressure release of not having to be such a prominent creator for this team, I think is important. And you can do that a bunch of different ways, right? You can feature Shangun more as a creator if you want to go more interior route you can run a more conventional offense through other point guards if you want to kind of relieve some of the pressure that way i think there's lots of ways you can go about it but you want to get him into a place where his shot balance overall is just a little bit healthier i i do like what he can be as a score i love the skill and the talent there i just don't always love the choices and sometimes that to, to, even to the devin booker example is a matter of like what situations you're putting them in to make those choices i thought devin booker had bad habits for a while and i know suns fans were always bullish on the idea that he could he could be that player that it was just like a bad team around him that it was never devin booker's fault i, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's his fault but like young players have to grow up and they have to figure out what opportunities are there for them and which ones aren't jalen green is still learning that and i think if he can figure that out on a timeline where the rest of this roster continues to grow where these other point guards are facilitating that growth for him and that transition for him there's room for a, a really optimistic scenario for the rockets over the course of the next three or four years it's just again not going to be like an instant turn in terms of what this team can be agreed and that evaluation point and having a men thompson and i i mean it is going to potentially like it, it opens up that window like a men getting a men and getting 
Fred Van Vliet in the same summer. Like if, if you can kind of transition that baton, and I think that's an easy transition. We won't go in rigid order. You guys know that we, we always bounce around a little bit. The rookie I'm most excited to see in this division by roughly a mile and a half is Amen Thompson. And I don't know, I don't think it's going to be like he's a star on day one. I think it's going to be these moments where you just go, oh, damn, like if he if you can harness all this, what it can be. But he uniqueness doesn't have degrees like that's kind of the idea of uniqueness. But he is the he is the most unique play prospect I've scouted ever. Like, and and I I came up with Real GM in like, God, what was that? Like 2007 doing draft stuff. And I've never seen someone like him. Well, so what is it that makes him stand apart to you, Danny? Because I've seen glimpses, I've seen bits and pieces of film, but for the most part, I'm kind of waiting for my full NBA introduction. So what, what should I be looking for when I get to see him as a rocket for the first time? He is an NBA, like high, high end NBA caliber athlete, like one of the better, one of the better athletes that we've seen. And has Nate and I disagreed on this a little bit. I I love his. I think his feel is very good. I think that he he has, and also his mentality is very good. You know, he's attacking when he has the opportunity, but he is always looking for the pass. Has immense defensive potential. Even if Asar showed more of that at OTE than Amen did, but it's the question, and this has come up a lot over the last few years of. How good of an on-ball player can you be if your jump shot is a giant question mark? And with Amen, it's all of the jump shot components. It's the pull-up shot. It's the catch-and-shoot shot, all that type of stuff. How does that work on-ball? How does that work off-ball? And we've seen guys, you know, that I don't always think that, like, the, oh, Ben Simmons can't shoot threes. That's what sunk his career. Like, there were a lot of other things that were problems, and I think that Amen, he's more aggressive going to the basket and, like, the, the you know, the free throw you know getting to the free throw line and all that type of stuff but the combination of athleticism passing vision and feel like he threw passes that i've only seen a few 18 19 year olds throw and doing that at like six eight and athletic he's not like that it just doesn't come along very often he's not the level of lebron obviously but it's just it's a rare package and i appreciate it for what it is he's gonna control the game when he's five years in and that's not something that every most players honestly in the league can do is like he's going to be able to manipulate and leverage the defense and understand how to take advantage of it and that size and athleticism opens the doorway for what his mind's capable of and that was the thing i saw and even in summer league was oh wow the, like he, his feel for the game is phenomenal and so like i said uh with the right complement of weapons i'm really excited to see what those lineups look like like i'm really excited to see what that's going to be capable of and again this may be a thing where he shoots absolutely miserably those first three months of the season and everyone writes him off i can definitely see that happening we saw it with Cade, right and then back half of the season starts to put it together if he gets more minutes or if there's an injury um and that really opens the door but i'm with you I think I have a long shot rookie of the year bet on him. I think he is phenomenal. And I, I am, he is the thing that I am most interested because I still think there is a question of who's the guy on this Rockets team. Who's going to be the guy. And the assumption has, and they have tried to absolutely force Jalen green to be the guy. And I am not sold that it's going to be him long-term. Well, I am, I am almost wary of how in the tank I am for the descriptions I have heard of Amen Thompson. <laughs> like I need, I need to pump the brakes personally just to make sure that I'm in a healthy place to really start this long-term relationship with him. But also like, I, I don't want to be derelict of duty here. We're like an hour into this podcast and talking about the rookies we're excited to see. And I don't think we have said the name Victor Webinyama yet. 
God, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. You know, he's okay. I'm, I'm vaguely excited to see him. Seems all right. Here's my question. And I, I will say I'm a person who, as a general rule, am somewhat pessimistic about the ideas of rookies coming in and making a significant winning impact. But is there a universe in which he is the best newcomer to any of these teams? Yes, absolutely there is. And I mean, Fred Van Vliet's one hell of a basketball player. But if Wembenyama, like, I think of him more as, like, defensive potential rather than defensive immediate impact. But if he can do that, like, if he can, and, and then, I mean, his offensive game is fascinating. There, There is absolutely a chance that he, like, that he, he moves the needle more for them this year than, like, Fred Van Vliet does. Sure. I saw a clip going on social media the other day of someone trying to play in 2K with Webinyama, and when they dunked with him, the game just like glitched out, and he started like revolving around the basket. And I can't lie, part of me was like, this probably isn't that far from reality. Like we are, we are closer to this than we are probably willing to admit in terms of some of just like the to your point, Danny, the weirdness and the game breaking potential of what his offense could be. How fascinating the experiment of watching him come up in the NBA will be. I just have no idea what to expect other than my default expectation is like, yes, he'll get pushed around a little bit. The Spurs, I think, already publicly are telling us that he's he's going to play a lot of four this season rather than five, probably to try to curtail that problem. But like, who will Victor Webanyama be as a rookie? I'm open to a lot of potential interpretations, um, including those that I think are different from anything we've ever seen before. Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing is he's extremely exciting because of how fascinating the questions are. Like, it's just like, man, I don't know what this is going to look like. Like what it could be anything, you know, and and that the limitless possibilities and creativity, I think, are things that dedicated, serious NBA fans are going to be pulled towards. Um, I, I am one extremely jaded at this point in my career. Two, um, I am because of the the betting landscape that I work in. A lot of this comes down to okay, but what does this mean, right? And so I have a hard time generating the same kind of enthusiasm that I would have had um, at the start of my career for women Yama because I've seen so many phenoms come and go and turn into different things. And it's not that I don't think he's going to be great. I don't know. I really don't. I, I can see it because there are all of these things like I've watched, you know, was, was watching all of the Metropolitan's 92 games like every, like the hardcore sickos were as well. You know, have seen all of the compilations of, of what he's capable of, all those types of things. And I was there at Summer League where it was like, woof, okay, all right, little little outmatched here, a little uncomfortable. And quite honestly, um, I thought it was indicative that when teams decided to take him out of the game plan, that they were able to do so, or specifically Charlotte, right? Like that Charlotte was able to able with a terrible Summer League squad, an absolutely disgustingly horrible one. Basically, it was like, no, 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 we're going to send multiple defenders because this guy's not going to have this huge career night on us in his debut. We're not going to allow it. And I wonder what that looks like on the Spurs scouting report because he's not going to a team with a lot of veteran talent that happened to be bad and even like just like solid veteran dudes. He's going to a team with a lot of guys that were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what what they're going to look like long term. There's some guys that we like, I think, you know, Keldon and Vassell and I, I like Sohan quite a bit. But in general, um, I have a lot of uncertainty about what he's going to be. I also, I think, have a real reticence to want to apply some people, I think there's an inherent desire 
to push back against high expectations and kind of root for a failure so that people are wrong. I have the opposite where I'm like, I don't want to set too high expectations for him because it doesn't feel fair to him. And like, I don't want him to be suffocated by the amount of the expectations and pressure, even though he's by all indications welcomed that as part of his persona. Um, I'm very curious beyond just his game. I'm really curious to see how they approach this San Antonio pop from a developmental standpoint. Like, what did they try and do with him? What are their priorities for him? And that I think is going to be a fascinating thing to see unfold both early in the season and throughout it, provided that he's healthy. Development, yeah. d- development's a big part of why I said I'm real more interested in the men Thompson than one Banyama this year is that I think we're going to learn more about the theory of Amen Thompson early on. Whereas Wembenyama, my expectation is that he's going to adapt a lot over the next couple of years. And so the this isn't to me like a, you know, what are those players that you throw into the league and then they're just that that guy for, you know, for a bunch of time. Like he's going to need to figure out his offensive role, figure out his defensive role. And his body's going to change, I think, a fair amount. Like, he'll get he'll get stronger and he'll adapt. And his offensive game is going to be really fun. Whereas a men, I think, and, and his game is going to adapt too. You know, he's a young guy, good head on his shoulders and all that. But I want to know with a men whether this, whether this iteration of him works because he is a test that we haven't really quite seen before. Whereas Wembenyama, it's, it, it is this idea of like, I know, I know that we're nothing. We're, we're the, the the end game here is so far away. Well, especially when to contrast their supporting casts, Amen Thompson just has more around him that is of like plausible NBA standard than what's going on in San Antonio right now. I think honestly, the Spurs have a, a decent amount of pros, and they do have some good players. Like, I, you know, maybe there's no greater indicator of the depths of my depravity than the number of times I have said of some other player, "Man, I wish that guy played like Devin Vassell a little bit more." Uh, so I certainly have my favorites on that roster and guys that I really like. That said, the overall contours of it, that's not really like a workable NBA team yet. That's not really the structure of an NBA roster yet. I think some of that starts with like who the primary playmakers are going to be and who the you know the stakeholders in the offense are going to be, which leaves, in theory, a lot of room for Victor Webanyama to experiment in practicality, given the Spurs and the way they tend to operate. I think probably just a lot of sloppy basketball in year one as they try to kind of usher him gently into to a variety of different roles and capacities, but not like really shoehorn him in in any kind of dominant or ball dominant way just yet. The Rockets just have a team that makes at this point a little bit more sense. And it's not going to make sense in a way that's going to result in a ton of wins. But again, hopefully it makes sense in a way that really pays off as a developmental exercise. Uh, well, let's briefly, uh, are there any other kind of moves, trade draft picks, trade signings that stood out, or do, are we ready to move on to the season preview part for this division? I think. Um, oh, I, just briefly, like, New Orleans deciding to functionally use their mid-level exception on Herb Jones, who they already had under contract, was interesting. I don't know whether it was the right or wrong move, and we're, it's going to be the counterfactual, like, what would he have gotten in free agency next summer? But, like, that stuck out to me. But they're, they're a deep team that I don't know what an MLE guy would have done. I don't know what to do with the Pelicans either. Yeah. I, have, I have them at 42 wins. And that 42 wins should be translated as they could be 48 to 50. They could be 32 to 30. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's it because it's not just the injury. They had they had such bad luck last year. I mean, not just like one thing went wrong, like everything went wrong all at once. Like you they lost all of their bench, which was honestly the best part of their team when Zion after Zion went out. It was just it was brutal. So it's like I don't want to just instantly pencil them to return to what they were in December. 
number, but I will say that every single thing I've looked at uh, from tape to numbers to everything, I just love Trey. I, I just love Trey Murphy. Just love, love everything about Trey Murphy and hope he gets a much bigger role on this team. Um, one of the things that I kind of feel with the, the Pelicans is they are, by all indications, the team, the, the coach loves Brandon Ingram, the players love Brandon Ingram, and they look up to him as like a role model. Like he's a leader in the locker room, and that's accredited to Ingram. I also continue to wonder if they would be better with a different option as the number two, um, and sometimes the number one when Zion's out. I, I just, I continue to wonder about what he does to kind of control the game and, and move things along. But in general, I think you have to, to really like the roster if it's healthy, which we have zero confidence in being. It's hard to figure out exactly what they are. I think there's kind of this assumption that that what they were for those first two months of the season wasn't real. But I'm like, we didn't get to find out. They were the number one seed in the Western Conference in December. They were. And they looked like a serious powerhouse. And they, if they're healthy, I have a hard time ruling out that possibility. I mean, the, the if they're healthy, it's just the caveat of all caveats, though. And then that starts with, you know, I, I think a lot of us are fans of of, uh, of Trey Murphy, but like, what will his status be as far as this meniscus injury and what does he look like when he comes back is now another question we have to heap onto that pile. I think part of the issue with Ingram is on the one hand, you want to say that he is more indispensable to a team that has Zion Williamson as a guy who's at least more available than that. And to your point, Matt, about how the players and the people in that organization think of him i think his developmental trajectory is something that a lot of people respect and a lot of people have a lot of admiration for in terms of the reformation of his long-range shooting over time the way he's established himself as a playmaker and really evolved in that capacity there's so many ways in which he's made meaningful improvements over the last couple seasons and yet there's always going to be that lingering question of like the oxygen that he takes up in the offense and whether it might be better used for other thing x depending on what your taste in basketball are and frankly depending on who is available on a night-to-night basis and what this roster actually looks like i have no idea what to do with any of the pelicans at this point like what their team building strategy should be how much they should be leaning on zion to be an actual tangible nba player at this point they're just in such a quagmire of overlapping injuries and fit and overall like organizational level questions where yeah i could see them being a a really great team if everything kind of clicks into place in just the right way there's just so many things that have to click into place the other thing i want to throw out there you brought you guys both brought up the idea of brandon ingram potentially being better somewhere else than he is is that i have this this big picture thing that I've been sitting, that I've been throwing out in podcasts over about the last six months, which is there, and two of them are in this division. There are this collection of young teams in the Western Conference that are kind of oversaturated with draft assets, most of which are not their own. And New Orleans, San Antonio, OKC, and to an extent, the Utah Jazz. Now, how, how aggressive those teams are going to be. If any one of them wants to become a buyer at some point in time, not only do they have a different sales pitch, because like theoretically, if Ingram is involved in that trade, or maybe he's not, maybe it's CJ, it's the magic salary or something else. They can make an offer that's fundamentally different than anyone else. And like that was a part of what made the theoretical negotiations with, with Portland for the pick that became Scoot Henderson so fascinating. And so will San Antonio, will New Orleans, or any of the other teams ever cash in those chips? Do they go... And and also, who in the world would that player be? I don't even know that part of it. Like, what role are they? What is because in, with the Pelicans, we don't know. Like, what are what is your foundation? What are you trying to complement with big new addition X? 
Yeah, I mean, again, I think with the Pelicans, it's tough because you don't they're in that spot where you can't decide what changes you need to make because you haven't seen it. And that's it's, you know, they they played around with OG last year and ran into the same problem that everyone did, which is Masai wanted the souls from their bodies and and the blood from their veins. (laughs) But you know, I, do you, do I want OG instead of Trey Murphy? Probably not. No, I, I don't. I'd, I'd rather have Trey with what he's shown. I want to see what, what he's capable of. Uh, the Zion question, I think, continues to really hang out there as far as, as where this goes. The other thing is, like, they may always be kind of that runner-up to the bigger markets where it's like, ooh, like, they may be the team that gets leveraged against all these other squads. Um, San Antonio, I think, will be extremely patient. I just think that they're going to be as... I don't think they'll be as patient with stuff like load management as people are projecting. Like some people are like, Wemby's going to play half a season. I'm like, I don't know. I think they're going to play. I think they're going to let him play basketball. I think he wants to play basketball and they're going to let him. But they'll be very slow with how they build the roster. They're going to be very deliberate with that approach. There's nothing in their history that suggests otherwise. And they, I think that they feel like they have the time to do that. Um, and so that's that to me is kind of the question. Honestly, the biggest trade question for me is Dallas. Because I still feel like Dallas understands they need one more piece. I think Dallas knows that their window is tight and that they've got to be as aggressive as possible, especially with the conversation around Luca. They've been trying to get that Tim Hardaway deal done forever. So when we look at trade uh, options, after Memphis you know, cashed in a bunch to get Marcus Smart, I tend to look at Dallas actually as the next team most likely to make a swing. They definitely have the most need to, I would say, of any of these groups. They just have so much less to work with than the Pelicans, right? And that, that's where you could you know, potentially find a team not only to take back some of those draft assets that Danny was talking about, but there's other young players on this team that could be attractive to other organizations like Dyson Daniels could make sense for a lot of rebuilding teams maybe there's still some Kyra Lewis fans out there who are willing to kind of like include him as part of a package and see that as a net gain I think New Orleans has at least some stuff on the table where if they wanted to they could push it in a more meaningful way but as we've been circling I don't even know how they would know what they need at this stage in the game or or why they would feel necessarily compelled to experiment beyond at least seeing what they have in action first Okay, we can move on to the regular season preview part of this. I could start with Matt. Um, do you want to rank these teams one to five? You can use regular season record, or if you want to use different criteria, just tell everybody what it is. I've got projections, so I'll go ahead and use those. I've got the Grizzlies at fifty wins. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to stun a lot of people this season. So I've got them number one. Uh, I have the Mavericks actually as the second best team in the Western Conference at forty eight wins. I don't know if I'm going to move that down or not. But right now, I've got them number two. Um, I've got the Pelicans as I mentioned at forty two wins. Uh, they will be in the play-in tournament is where I've currently got them slotted. The Houston Rockets I have at 29 wins currently. Um, I've moved that number up and down quite a bit based off of projections, trying to figure out what the right number is for them. I'm going to stick with 29 for the purposes of this. Uh, The San Antonio Spurs at 21 wins. I still think that team's going to be really, really terrible and lose a lot of games, but the Wemby highlights will be amazing when they pop up. Yeah, I think that overall order makes sense for sure. The only real questions here, I mean, I think Memphis is is pretty much a lock at number one, um, unless someone was just like very down on the jaw situation and the effect that could have on the team overall. But the construction is just better than the rest of these Southwest teams. Then you're getting into, do you like the Mavs or Pelicans better? And do you like, to whatever extent you care about the bottom of the standings, the Rockets or the Spurs better? I think we have more reason to believe in the Mavs at this point than the Pelicans just do in large part to health that they're going to be able to deliver on the level that they would need to. 
But I don't think there's a question that the Pelican ceiling is significantly higher. And a, a best case Pelican season to our, our reference earlier to them being number one in the standings early last season is probably better than Memphis, right? The Pelicans have that kind of ceiling in them. And a lot of it has to do with just like, can Zion stay on the floor with any kind of consistency? Because when he has, good Lord, like I, I he, he's unstoppable in a way where not only is he physically just so much to handle and as a skill player so much to contend with, teams just don't even know what to do with him yet because they've barely seen him at all. And so the fact that the I think the Pelicans, again, if everything goes according to plan, if everything goes on the best possible trajectory, could catch a lot of people by surprise with how good they are. It's just that the overall average, like the mean Pelican season, is so much worse than that. Their margin between ceiling and floor is wild. And when you think about a team that generally I trust them defensively, like it, it is pretty amazing that they're that they have that kind of variance, but health and everything else. And the other kind of element of it for Memphis that I think is significant is I also trust their coach. Like I, tr- I trust their coach. I think that they're going to do the right stuff. And, and they've generally withstood the Morant absences, whether they were injury or off the court stuff pretty well. They don't have Tyus Jones anymore, but they do have Marcus Smart and they, they have enough functional depth that I think they'll be okay. So yeah, I, I think Memphis won. Dallas, New Orleans. So the wild thing is that I think that they're like eat their expected value is probably close, but I think there are a lot of scenarios where they finish more than five games apart just for various circumstances like injuries or just it not quite working. I think I'll go Dallas over New Orleans. That's the toughest one. And then Houston, Houston over San Antonio for now, but I will acknowledge this. I think that San Antonio, like every year there's one team where it's like, they're just, they're closer to the pin. And I mean, by the pin here, I mean like the eighth best team in the West. If Wembenyama can be that defensive player right away, they have a lot of capable guys. I don't think their offense is going to be great, but like that they could be that like in some ways, like maybe a little bit feisty. Like there was a year where Oklahoma City was like kind of in the mix a little bit more than we expected last year. They were they were you know obviously more more clearly with them, but it's just like maybe they could do it. But I still think Houston over over them is the is the better bet. Rob, how many teams from this division make the final eight playoffs? My temptation is to say my gut is two, but the more I think about it, I think it might be one. Wow. I mean, it's just – it's brutal out there. Wow. I think it's – I think it two and three is more likely than one. Personally. You think three is more likely than one? So who yeah. – who I guess the question is who do you have as a lock and who do you have as like potentially borderline? I have Memphis as, a, as not a total lock, but like pretty dang close. Yeah. And then Dallas and New Orleans, I would say to me they're both more likely than not. Just – I mean they're they're really, really talented. I mean the, the bigger question – this came up when I did the, um, the Pacific pod with Ben Golliver and Kevin Pelton is – I don't actually trust the teams in the Pacific that much. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. That's the same thing I have. Is like there's a bunch of the, those teams that I have above New Orleans, but the capacity for all, for them to fall apart is very high. And but so, fall apart in a way that where they're going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, I think so because of the because of the playing tournament. You know that changes the equation here. I mean, we look at if we look at Memphis, Dallas, Phoenix, Lakers, Wolves, Warriors, Nuggets. Clippers, Thunder, Kings, Pelicans. Of those, that's eleven teams. So three of those squads are going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, 
it's just it's hard. It's just hard to find, you know, and so one thing can really, I think, cause you to slip out and and a team could benefit from that. Uh, I, you know, Dallas, I think is, is tough for me. I have them projected pretty highly and it Dallas feels like a very and New Orleans. I think when we kind of talked about the dichotomy of those two teams it's very much a they both have pitiful floors and extremely high ceilings where it's like if everything works together with Dallas, they have one of the five best players in the NBA. And if everything comes together, Luke is going to look like the best player in the NBA. And if you have a good team around the best player in the NBA, you were locked to make the playoffs like that to me is a pretty simple equation. Um I'm willing to say Memphis is a lock. I just think they have too much talent and too much capacity and too much ability on both ends. And then New Orleans, it took so much for their season to fall apart last year. Like it wasn't like one, it wasn't just Zion. It was everything fell apart for them. And it fell apart in a very short amount of time in January to where even when they kind of recovered, they couldn't make up enough ground. But I think the capacity is definitely there for them to get back in it. I think there will absolutely not, not be four, right? There's no way there's four. And I would say, honestly, even to flip that, there's no way that Houston or San Antonio makes it. So like, I would say the number's got to be two and a half, and I would take the over a little bit at three. Well, so is there is there a definitive pick as far as like which of these other teams might slip out? Like I know you guys mentioned the Pacific Division having some skepticism there. Is it one team specifically that's that you're worried about kind of sliding out of that group? No, I think it's more that there's like a there's such a a variant possibility like the Kings regress. And all yeah. of a sudden, it's like that's that team's probably a lot closer to average and very uh, vulnerable to various things. Um, I'm honestly like I'm very I am I have a lot of concerns about the Warriors. I have a lot of concerns about Golden State for such a verified, reliable, dependable th- team. Just they're very old and very thin, and that combination makes me really nervous. Um, the Lakers, I don't know what was real and what wasn't. I have no idea. Like I have no idea what to expect from that Lakers team. I don't trust March results, and that's where they flourish. So I don't know what to do with them. You can talk about the playoff run, but that was matchup based, very specific things. And then the Clippers are the Clippers, right? Well, and so, and. Like one other big picture way of putting it, the Pacific, they're top heavy teams and they're they're not necessarily they're older and not always healthy. So like any any one of them could like I I could see any one of the five teams in the Pacific making or not making the playoffs. And that's always unsettling. And that that's a a reason I think to, to believe in Phoenix. And I think also a little bit to believe in Dallas, maybe is like even if Luca has to miss time. Kyrie in this group should be able to at least survive. They won't fall off a cliff, right? The same way that if the Suns lost KD for a little bit, Beal and Booker could probably get them through, at least capably, like be okay. Yeah, I should and have then, exempted the Suns from that. I think they're making the playoffs. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they, have, they have three guys who can do right. it. But then like you look at the Warriors, and it, it really has been like, look, if, if, if Steph and Draymond miss significant time, it gets dicey. And those guys have, like, Draymond played 73 last year, but Draymond's missed time in the last two seasons before that. And Steph's had injuries pretty much every year as he gets older. Uh, But I I know our time is limited. Uh, I'll start with you, Matt. Uh, Breakout players, just meaning players we'll talk about differently uh, a year from now. Uh, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, uh, Desmond Bain, I'm going to list as a candidate, even though he's gotten a lot of attention. I think there's so much more that he's going to showcase. I think Bain's going to be talked about in totally different terms after this season. Um, I will mention Trey Murphy. I will mention um, uh, I will mention Jabari Smith. Mm -hmm. And I'll mention Vassell for the Spurs. I'm also on the Jabari Smith train. Um, One guy on the Spurs who we haven't really talked about but had some nice moments last season who I think could have an overall nice 
campaign to put together is Malachi Branham. I was oh, really yeah. impressed with what I saw from him. So I, I'm, I'm eager to see how he fits into this like emerging picture of what their future is going to be. And look, if you'll entitle me a sentimental pick, like let's get a Dante Exum resurgence. You know, let's, I'd let's love to see it. Getting a foothold in the NBA uh, again. It, it doesn't have to be a huge role, but as like, oh, this this is a a workaday NBA role player who makes sense on a winning team. I, w- I would love to see that outcome for him. There are a lot of guys on San Antonio that intrigue me. Like Jeremy Sohan could have an, a nice second year. I like his fit on a, on a better team. And San Antonio might not be there yet, but they could be getting there. I mean, it seems crazy to say, but Victor Wembanyama and Amen Thompson, like if they actually are one of the like few, if either one of them is one of the few rookies that ever like does it, then we're in a different place here, which would be very, 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 very exciting. I, I'd love to see a, a, a strong Grant Williams year, like showing that he could do more than what Boston asked of him. I just don't think that's going to happen generally when you're playing with Kyrie and Luka Doncic. That's not what happens, but I love Grant Williams. I'm going to continue to love Grant Williams. And I think that's about it. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Danny. You, you know, they said it couldn't be done, that we would spend like 40 minutes talking about the Houston Rockets, but we showed them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, to, that, that I forgot about when Benyama in the first part of the rookie thing was was fantastic as well. Let, let's be real. The, the real upset here is that we didn't get to Malachi Branham until the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I could have expected like a, a beautiful Rob Mahoney soliloquy on Malachi Branham in like minute five. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't let it go, like slip all the way through the cracks. At least, at least have him grabbing for life up at the last moment. Thank God he didn't. Thanks again to Rob Mahoney and Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read Rob Mahoney at The Ringer. You can listen to him on The Ringer NBA show. And you can check out Matt Moore's excellent work at the Action Network. He does both written and I believe he does podcasts for them as well. And he also does great work for the Locked On Network, including Locked On NBA and Locked On Nuggets. And of course, you can also hear Matt more consistently here. We do Tears podcasts ideally fairly regularly throughout the regular season, and my hope and expectation is that that will continue into the 23-24 season. Love having them on. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download Real GM Radio in the podcast player you're choosing. We're never going to come out on a specific day of the week. This one's coming out on a Saturday. It's a good example of that. So you can't get into a habit with it. It's my availability, guest availability, everything like that. So subscribing, downloading helps, and also helping other people find the show. So that can be leaving a rating and review in the aforementioned podcast player or word of mouth, social media, whatever you're going to do. But the single most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. As mentioned before, this episode brought to you by FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. And you get new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Lots of great stuff there, individual player props, NFL season's going on, super fun, and of course, basketball's not that far away. You can also check out my other work, written work at The Athletic. I'm hoping, I've been traveling this week, I'm hoping to do something kind of big picture on the Damian Lillard trade in the next few days, depending on my availability and editorial and all that. And then, of course, Dunked On, we did a full breakdown, emergency pod on that massive trade, and we will be doing more Drew Holiday-related content as becomes pertinent, and we'll do previews, and Nate's, of course, doing the excellent series uh, where he talks to experts on each team, which is a lot of fun. I enjoy listening to those myself, especially when they're podcasts that I'm not on. Also want to take a minute, this is the Southwest pod, um, to remember our friend Jonathan Charks. This is the podcast that he was a part of every year and still miss him a lot. And it's, you know, it's a year, it's a a further year after now, and it's still 
still hard, but um, all my heart goes out to his family and all those who who cared and loved his work, which of course include the. Like, I was such a big fan of his individually and as a writer, as a co- as a colleague, everything else. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, DanielRueNBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. And I'm not the greatest at replying, but I will read, and that's why that's my promise. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.